began to see a therapist and she introduced me into the world of mindfulness and meditation, which completely changed my life. But, 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 but I was 19 years old and I still had not received, I was just barely tapping into how to positively shift, you know, any, any negative behaviors or negative coping skills I may have picked up. Right. And there was, there was a lot up in my upbringing. So at 19, even though I was actively working on my mental health, it wasn't until I was 25 that I would receive the diagnosis that changed my life. And that was with my second therapist. Hey, welcome back to Normalize the Conversation. Today, I'm here with Brenda Sarai Zuniga, a pioneer in entertainment. Brenda blends music, comedy, and mindfulness together, performing mental health education in a fun and relatable way. Brenda, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you really? Ah, I'm so excited right now. I like, can't contain my energy. <laughs> That's how I am. That's how I truly am. I'm like, okay, I'm sitting down, but like, I want to just like, pace around. I have so much energy and I'm, I'm wicked excited to be here. So yeah. I'm super excited to have you. You are truly a mental health activist. The work you are doing is incredible. Your podcast, your one woman comedy show. I mean, just everything you do is so entertaining, so exciting, and you can connect to it. You actually want to listen and be part of it. So can you tell everyone more about the different avenues you've taken to share various forms of mental health education? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I, as you mentioned, have my one woman musical comedy show that I I wrote, directed and started last year. It was my debut comedy special. And so I blended music, comedy and mental health coping skills and mindfulness all in in this one show to make mental health education really fun and relatable. And as I share my story, you know, of what I've been through my mental health journey, because I used to, I used to battle with anxiety. You know, I used to have anxiety. I used to live with that constant state of, I'm questioning everything I'm saying, you know, but on the outside, I was team leader. I was like, this go-getter, this ambitious, goal-driven, you know, or goal-oriented, driven woman. But on the inside, if we were to have a conversation and I noticed a bit of like, I don't know, like a silence or something, I'd be like, did I say something dumb? Oh my God, I said something stupid. Oh my God, now she thinks I'm like dumb. Oh my God. And then like, I'd call friends and be like, I'm going to recant the entire conversation right now. And you're going to tell me if I said something stupid. And they're like, what? <laughs> so, so I... I talk about that. I talk about overcoming my anxiety. I talk about overcoming my depression, which I had for many years. And, you know, again, I use the avenues of music, comedy, motivational speaking, uh, mindfulness coaching, you know, teaching them practical tools as I'm sharing stories. And I blend it all in. And um, I recently released a song on Spotify as well. And it's called Insomniac my debut single and it was you know it talks about how I'm an insomniac but I treat it now and I treat it with all of the positive coping skills that I teach you know so it's like 
And yeah, that's what I do. <laughs> I am like your biggest fan. And <laughs> when I listen to you, I laugh and I feel, which I think is very rare in mental health. A lot of times when we talk about it, it is so heavy. It is so depressing. You leave conversations kind of feeling worse than when you walked in. So for you to bring so much light and so much energy and joy and laughter into a conversation, that is so important. You're really giving the opportunity for more people to get involved. So you mentioned overcoming anxiety and overcoming depression. Could you share more about your mental health journey and how it led you into the space? Yeah. So I began seeing a therapist when I was 19 years old because I was experiencing panic attacks. And I knew I'm like, there's no way that I can continue living my life like this. You know, I just felt so out of control. I didn't feel any sort of groundedness within me. You know, I didn't know when they were going to come about. I'd be walking up the street, you know, coming home from work or something and just boom, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my God, I have to sit down. Oh my God, what the heck? What is going on? And then all of a sudden I felt like I was going to die. And I'm like, <gasps> I'm like on the street and people are like, what the hell is wrong with her? And I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, I'm going to die. And then it would last like two minutes. And afterwards I'm like, yo, I'm fine. But what the heck was that? You know? And so it's funny now, but in the moment, it's the scariest feeling. And so I began to see a therapist and she introduced me into the world of mindfulness and meditation, which completely changed my life. But, 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 but I was 19 years old and I still had not received, I was just barely tapping into how to positively shift, you know, any, any negative behaviors or negative coping skills I may have picked up. Right. And there was, there was a lot it, up in my upbringing. So at 19, even though I was actively working on my mental health, it wasn't until I was 25 that I would receive the diagnosis that changed my life. And that was with my second therapist. And she introduced me to, um, I mean, she asked me if I had ever been diagnosed with ADHD. And I was like, no, she goes, dude, you have like every symptom and characteristic of someone who has ADHD, but let's get you tested. Let's see what's going on. And sure enough, I have ADHD and she's the one that suggested I try medicine. And at this time I was like, oh my God, medicine's for crazy people. Like I don't want any medicine. I'm cool. And she goes, okay, cool. So then continue to, to, uh, start projects, not finish them. Uh, and then get task avoidance, then get anxiety because you're not finishing them and then feel like a failure and then depression comes in. And then, yeah, just keep going on that cycle. See how that works for you. It's like, ah, she's right. So she's like, look, let's just, I mean, she said it in like, a, <laughs> I'm like super like throwing comedy in it, but no, she was like, listen, let's just give medicine a chance and see, you know, if, if this is a good a good avenue for you. Um, and if it's not, then we can continue to amp up other positive coping skills, you know, then we can double down on other things, but let's just give medicine a try. And next thing you know, I mean, I credit my ADHD medicine for me being the CEO that I am today. You know, my medicine, it allowed me to not spend so much mental energy. I didn't realize how much mental energy it took 
to just put socks on and get out of the house because all of a sudden I would be like, oh, the dishes, uh, it'll take two seconds. You know, I'd start doing the dishes and then remember the bathroom's dirty. Oh, wait, the bathroom, wait, I gotta like clean the bathroom. Dishes are half undone, go to the bathroom. And then I'm like, oh, wait, my bed, I gotta do my bed. And then go to my bed, nothing is done. Everything's taking forever. I, I needed to have left the house 30 minutes ago, but I had time blindness and it's like, wait, what? Oh, this, it felt like two seconds to me, but it was really like 30 minutes. And so my medicine, along with the positive coping skills that I had developed for years, began to open me up to a whole new world of possibilities and make the things that I didn't know were so, uh, how can I say it, that, that were hindering me from being more productive, you know, to not have the hold on me that they were having, if that makes sense. First of all, I want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And secondly, the fact that you talk so openly about medication. Yeah. I remember when I first was presented with medication, with the idea of taking medication, I was like, no, it's for crazy people. Like I was there too. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something that's so common and most people are afraid to take the medication or admit it. So by you talking about it and speaking about it so freely, I think that helps a lot of people who aren't sure. But wow, it took six years for you to get the right diagnosis and the support that you actually needed. How did that make you feel finding out six years later that what you were diagnosed with originally wasn't right it was more of a symptom of the actual diagnosis that's that oh my god i was so relieved that i could put a name to how i've been operating my entire life you know instead of feeling this shame or guilt or anything i was like oh yes and, and it, it, hilariously enough as odd as this may sound i was like i'm not crazy i was like there's a name to this and i'm not alone it's like that's how i felt and um and and i realized that with my first therapist i may not have exhibited all the adhd qualities with her because i was so we were working so much on my anxiety at that point and depression. And we were, she was a psychoanalytical therapist. So psychoanalysis therapy, they do a lot of uncovering, a lot of like lifting the, the rocks the, with the memories deep within and they lift them so that we can talk about this stuff. So I think that, and, and the, my second therapist who diagnosed me with ADHD, uh, she does CBT cognitive behavioral therapy. So that's, that's different. And I feel like with my CBT therapist, she was able to recognize it. And I think with my psychoanalytical, there was a different uh, purpose with her. And so because I had done the work with my first therapist, I think my second therapist was now able to be like, oh, like I see these things. And, but that was because I had already been been working on uh, myself, you know? So it was a process and it was, it was a bit of uncovering because I did a lot of great work with my first therapist, but again, that was more anxiety, eliminating anxiety, limiting depression, overcoming that, working with it, managing it. But hilariously enough with my second therapist, when I was diagnosed with ADHD and I began 
to treat it with medicine and all these other coping skills, like my anxiety and depression just like vanished, you know? And so what I was told is that oftentimes when people go and diagnosed with ADHD for long periods of time, it can manifest itself as anxiety and depression. But in reality, it's undiagnosed ADHD. That is such important information to share because I think a lot of people can relate to that and they don't get diagnosed. When it comes to ADHD, I think now they're so quick to diagnose ADHD in children, but before they weren't. And especially in females, it's definitely more of a young boy diagnosis. And to go that long without the diagnosis, yeah, it makes sense to start presenting itself in a different way. Yeah. So when you were working through your depression and your anxiety. You said you made a, or found a lot of coping mechanisms and tools that work for you. So is that really the inspiration behind your four-week program? Yes, a thousand percent. Because the, I mean, I did not grow up with any of these positive coping skills, not in my household. I, I grew up in a super Mexican household where, you know, if I were to be like, I'm sad, they're like, you just got a toy. What are you complaining about? You know, you have a roof over your head, you have food on the table, you have clothes on your back. We wish we had your life. And I have an interesting upbringing where I was smuggled into this country when I was one year old, you know, right? And I was raised by teenage parents. I lived in 15 homes, attended 11 different schools. And so in my parents' eyes, because they didn't have mental health education, again, raised by teenagers, they were like, we just risked our entire lives for you to come to this country. You know, like, what, what are you complaining about? So I didn't grow up with these positive coping skills. But growing up, I did realize that I needed to surround myself with people who were going to validate my experience and help me move forward. And so I had been actively working on my mental health by, again, seeking out mentors and trusted individuals when I was a teenager. But it wasn't until, like I said, I learned these positive coping skills that I teach, like mindfulness meditation, breath work, proper breath work, how do we, how to properly breathe to activate your parasympathetic system, which is your system that's going to tell your brain, hey, we're calm, we're cool, everything's okay. You know, learning about self-compassion, learning about um, gratitude. Oh my God, like saved my life. Learning how to practice gratitude on the daily, which I just created a, a gratitude journal as well because of it, because it's so huge in my life. And so all these positive coping skills, um, you know, I was like, holy crap, I rewired myself. I rewired who I am and, and I broke every statistic and, and, and um, how can I say, I broke every statistic of who I was supposed to become based on my upbringing. You know, and I did it with these tools. So I need to teach people these tools. I need to, because everyone, everyone is deserving of a good, happy life where they can feel, you know, comfortable in their own skin. Because when we, guess what? When we empower ourselves, we, we can empower others, you know? And, and, it's, and it's a ripple effect. 
And then when someone becomes empowered, they want to empower someone else. And it, again, it's, an, it's a ripple effect. And that is how we're going to make positive change in this world. And that's, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to be of service and help heal the collective through the arts, through the limited amount of time that I have on this planet. I want to make it as fun as possible for not only myself, but everybody around me. So I absolutely admire that mission because you said we're not taught mental health education in schools. Our parents weren't taught it, taught it. our grandparents weren't taught it. So who is going to teach us? If we're not providing this information, these resources, the next generation is just going to grow up to continue to struggle. And the cycle is going to continue. And the suicide rates are going to continue to increase. Yep. We have to be providing these tools. So your four-week program is called Get Clarity, Own Your Mastery. Can you tell us a little bit about who this program is for? Yeah. So it's absolutely for anyone who wants to improve themselves. Absolutely anyone. And I made sure when I was creating this program, which has taken me about five years to really, you know, uh, sculpt and really make sure that I have hit all the positive coping skills that A, not only do I use on a daily, but have worked and are neuroscientifically backed. You know, they're all backed by neuroscience. So if you want to improve yourself, if you want to reduce anxiety, to reduce depression, if you want to become happier, if you want to be, if you want to tap into your potential, then this program is for you. And so, you know, I wanted to make sure that I made something that everyone can truly benefit. And I was told, you know, in the past when I would, when I would have consultations with other people who have created programs, they're like, you've got to know who your audience is. You've got to find a niche. You've got to find who your ideal client is, because if you make a program for everybody and you make a program for no one, and so you got to be like super specific. And I'm like, okay, I understand that with, you know, I guess some programs, but because all the tools that I offer are backed by neuroscience and I've done my research on them, not only heavy research of reading about it and studying it, but actually applying it. And my clients have also loved them too. I'm like, all right, this is, and I, in my client range, it's, it's all over the place. And I love it because this goes to show again, that these tools, they're not just for, you know, a specific type. They're for everybody. So. I absolutely love that. And going back to people saying that you need to pick a niche. I feel like that's one of the biggest problems in mental health information and resources is that everyone's trying to pick a niche and no one is creating these programs that fit for everyone. Mm -hmm. If we don't start targeting everyone, that's the problem. The problem is that mental health is targeted towards a specific population. Mm -hmm. And when the other populations are left out, nothing is going to change, nothing is going to improve. So I, again, admire you for creating a program that is so universal, that it's meant to help everyone and not leave anyone out. So I really want to break it down week by week. So in week one, what do we learn? Week one, we learn about gratitude and we learn the importance of gratitude. 
we learn about proper belly breathing with gratitude. And we learn all about, again, the neuroscience. I break it down on how is it that we are wired to think negatively. It's called the negativity bias. And so I explain how back in the day, I mean, back to evolution, like, like caveman era, okay? We were wired to always see the negative everywhere, to be like, where are the tigers? Where are the lions? All right, you know, where are they? So we can, you know, I, we're not gonna fight them. I just did this, but I'm like, there's no way we're gonna fight them like this. <laughs> but, you know, we were, we were programmed that way because that meant survival. That meant we were going to live if we remembered this information. But now, I mean, I don't know about you, but I definitely don't have a tiger walking around my backyard. Some people do, I guess, but you know, most of us don't. And if they do, they're, you know, they're caged up and I guess it's safe. But, you know, now I don't have to worry about going outside. There's a lion that's going to be waiting to eat me. But my brain doesn't know that. Hilariously enough, our brains do not understand that yet. So we are still wired to be in the negativity bias and to focus on the bad, which is why negative experiences last way longer and make a stronger impact than neutral and positive experiences. So I teach all about gratitude. We go through gratitude exercises. We, we start to, to dive into what are the amazing things that are going on in your life. And so I break all that stuff down. That is absolutely amazing. First of all, I just learned so much from you. Wow, I did not know that at all. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But going into gratitude, I think that it's such a simple yet complex process yeah. to learn. And a lot of people feel kind of like they're supposed to be grateful, but they don't know what to be grateful for. They don't know how to practice gratitude, how to live in the present and find one thing that makes them happy, that makes them feel safe, that makes them feel okay. So what advice do you have for someone who wants to start practicing gratitude, but genuinely just doesn't know how to find something to be grateful for? So check this out. There's no such thing as a dumb thing to be grateful for or a small thing to be grateful for anything you can be absolutely grateful for everything like for example i'm looking at this lipstick right here and like and i'm like i'm so grateful for this because this lipstick just made my lips look real nice okay up in the zoom call i'm like without it probably wouldn't have popped so much so i'm really grateful for that i'm grateful for um my phone it allows me to conduct so much activity and connect with others. And it's just like amazing. And I'm also grateful for my bed, you know, my bed, it allows me to sleep nice. You know, it, is, it allows me to, to feel comforted and cozy. Now I'm getting into the bigger things, right? I started, I started with just the things that I see, but now I'm getting into the bigger things. Now I'm looking around my apartment going, I am so grateful that I have a roof over my head. I'm so grateful that I know that tonight I'm going to sleep in this bed and I'm going to be safe and I have a roof over my head. So if it rains, I'm not going to be, you know, drenched and looking like a wet rat. So, you know, then I think about, I'm so happy I showered this morning. I have running water like that. I can turn, I can turn on the, the, 
what is it called? The shower faucet, whatever it is. But I turn on the shower <laughs> and I have water just in an instant and not just water, but clean water, right? I'm able to, I'm able to talk. I'm able to talk. Holy crap. Some people may be like, Jesus, that's not something to be grateful for. She needs to be quiet. She can't stop talking. But, you know, I'm able, you know, I'm just, I'm so grateful. And there's so many things around us that, that we can be grateful for. And it's so important that we are, because this is how we rewire the negativity bias that is built in. This is how we begin to practice living a happier and healthier life. This is how we increase our dopamine, our serotonin, our neurotransmitters who are responsible for our overall well-being. So, yeah. First of all, I love the way you explain that because just looking around you and what's around you and finding things that make you feel good, like the lipstick or your phone and being able to connect with people around the world with uh, social media, with the ability to FaceTime, call, being able to Zoom, having a bed to sleep and things we take for granted. A lot of times we don't realize how lucky and blessed we are to have these things. And if we look at it from a perspective of gratitude instead of a perspective of, oh, I have this, it makes the biggest difference. And you're right, it really does help rewire our brain. So now moving into week two, what are we learning this week? So week two, we are learning about positive affirmations. We are learning about an auto-suggestion. We're learning about how our subconscious works. This is like the intro to our subconscious because we think that we operate from our conscious and what we see and what's in front of us. But we humans operate off of 95% of our subconscious. 95% of the things that we do are because of how our subconscious mind is wired. So if you grew up with people constantly telling you that you are crap, that you're never going to amount to anything, that nobody likes you, and that's something that that was instilled in you by others and you heard that keyword heard that over over and over again and over again it was now you could say automatically suggested auto suggested to you you pick that up you ingrained that and that's how you operate from that's how you operate and see the world you know and that's how you that's how you feel in the world unless you begin to rewire that and learn the tools to eliminate these self-limiting beliefs and begin creating new neural pathways that are going to create the new positive behaviors and the new positive thoughts and the new, the new coping skills and coping mechanisms for you to become who you were destined to become and not what you grew up thinking you know, based on what the people around you were saying or what you were shown around you. And so auto-suggestion, one of the best ways to rewire, I should, let me rephrase that. You can begin to rewire your subconscious mind through positive affirmations. Why? Because of auto-suggestion. Again, how many times 
Have you heard a song on the radio? When you first hear it, you're like, this song sucks. Oh my God. I don't know why people like this song. This song is oh, so annoying. I hate that song, right? You're just driving in your car. It comes on again in the radio. Coming out live. You're like, oh my God, this is a song again, right? You're just driving. Fast forward two weeks later, you're like this fast, and you're just like, see, I'm not saying that was a crappy song. I actually really like that song. Bad example. But, <laughs> you know, the, then you start singing this song and all of a sudden, you know, the lyrics to it. All of a sudden, you know exactly how it's going to go. And you're like, how did that happen? I like never actively like read the lyrics somewhere for me to know the lyrics. One of my favorite bands is Fall Out Boy. And one of the lyrics in their songs, in one of their songs, says, the songs you grow to like never stick at first, right? And so that is like, oh yeah, why is that? Well, now I'm gonna jump back to science and neuroscience. And it's because of auto-suggestion, repeated affirmations, repeated things that we hear over and over again, our subconscious mind picks that up. And then all of a sudden, that's how we're operating. So one of the best ways to rewire that and to begin, begin operating from a much more positive place and begin shifting our subconscious mind is positive affirmations. Like I am worthy. I am loved. I love myself. I am here to make a difference. I matter, you know, things like that. You know what? I never thought of it that way, but it is so true that when we hear in the back of our mind someone telling us how we're not good enough or we're not smart enough or we're not going to amount to anything, over and over again, it just sticks. Even if we think we're not paying attention to it, even if we think we're blocking it out, even if we think we're ignoring it and it's not affecting us, it is. Mm-hmm. And teaching our brain to think that way and it's affecting our self-esteem it's affecting the way we love ourselves because a lot of times it makes us not feel worthy of love or Mm -hmm. worthy of kindness or support or help so when it comes to positive affirmations it really does help rewire because you're telling yourself the opposite of what you're subconsciously telling yourself so a lot of people I think when it comes to affirmations kind of do the simple ones. I'm enough. I'm not alone. I matter. But outside of the kind of main ones that everyone talks about, how do people, how might someone go about tailoring a affirmation to actually work for them and what they're feeling inside? So that is a wonderful question. When I first started doing affirmations, I'm like, this is dumb. This is so silly. How the heck is this going to work? Okay. Tell myself in the mirror. I love myself. Okay. Like, uh-huh. That's not, that's not how I felt at the time. But because of uh, the way our brain works, because of the science backing of auto-suggestion and positive affirmations, the more you tell yourself something, the more you, the more you believe it, the, let me rephrase that. The more you tell yourself something, the more your subconscious starts to pick it up. And therefore, then that's when the believing happens. It starts to believe it. And when you begin to believe it, that's when you begin to shift everything. And so when I first started, 
you know, let, let me tell you. I, when I first moved into this apartment, I, I was going through a devastating breakup and I did not feel like happy whatsoever, right? But there's sticky notes all over my front door. There's sticky notes all over my kitchen. There's sticky notes everywhere. That was like, I am worthy of love. I am worthy of healthy love. I am lovable, right? I am here to make a difference in this world and I am capable of that. You know, these were things that I didn't believe at the time, you know, even simple phrases like I'm worthy. It's like, well, that's not how I felt at the time. But every single day before I left my apartment, I would read those notes. And every single day I would close the front door. I would see those notes and I would read them out loud. I would then go into my, uh, stand in front of my mirror and I would read these affirmations and then I would memorize them and say them to myself in the mirror. And then slowly but surely, I began to feel differently. I began to be like, oh, maybe I am worthy. So it shifted from I'm not worthy to, huh, maybe, maybe I am. And the more I practiced it, that maybe turned into I am. And the more I practiced that, I was like, oh, heck yeah, I am. And so that's, that's how the brain works. That is 100% true. It's just like when you're in school and you're practicing math and the first few times you just can't get the problem right. And then eventually start to get a little more confident as you're starting to get them right. And then you ace the test and you see it's working and you get really confident in that skill. And I think a lot of people don't realize that practice that you do in school really also relates to real life and coping tools and affirmations and self-love. So I know you talked about these affirmations that you used. What today is your current favorite affirmation to tell yourself? I love all your questions. You're great. <laughs> You're so awesome. Um, that's one of my favorite affirmations to tell myself. <clears throat> I am here to leave a legacy. I love that so much. Mm-hmm. I'm here to leave a legacy. That is a really good one. So now jumping into week three, what's yeah. going to be learning now? Week three is party time. No, week three, it's learning how to meditate because how often do people go i can't meditate that ain't for me uh-huh i tried and like no x x everywhere so i so <laughs> i teach them how to meditate using solfeggio frequencies have you heard of solfeggio frequencies i have not i'm very excited to begin shining light on the importance of solfeggio frequencies when you want to rewire your subconscious mind and you want to truly activate different parts of your brain for a psychosomatic connection, not only heal your mind, but also heal your body at the same time. And this is what sophagio frequencies do. Now, the neuroscience behind mindfulness meditation goes like this. Our brain, there's a medial prefrontal cortex, which is the me center, 
Then there's the prefrontal cortex, which is responsible for our mood, regulating emotions, um, logical thinking, focus, attention, all that stuff. Our medial prefrontal cortex is responsible for passing that information, taking any information that we receive in the outer world and filtering it through either the prefrontal cortex or the amygdala. The amygdala is our fight or flight system. And when we have a strong tie to our, from our me center to the amygdala, that's when we operate more off of aggression, hostility, anxiety, depression, you name it, right? But, but when we have a strong tie to the prefrontal cortex, we are able to operate from a much more balanced perspective, balanced emotions, rationale, logical thinking, you know? So we start to, we start to increase our activity from our prefrontal cortex to our prefrontal cortex when we begin to activate all those things. Or let me rephrase that. What meditation does is it strengthens our tie to the prefrontal cortex while weakening the connection to our amygdala. And so again, we are able to operate off a more balanced perspective, balanced emotions kind of way. But again, you try and tell someone to just be quiet, sit there and just think of nothing and you get the opposite. You get someone who's gonna fidget around and is gonna have every single thought come to their mind. Like I want French fries or like cookies or whatever, right? So with solfeggio frequencies, what I do is I teach them about the different frequencies that exist which will have different effects on the body and on the mind as well. And so what we do is we do short meditations. It starts with like one minute. They'll put on the solfeggio frequency and then I will guide that meditation. And it's like, okay, breathe in for four seconds, hold it for four, breathe out for five. All right, we're gonna do it again. And we do it for one minute. Then we talk about it, we do it again for another minute. And then we increase it to two minutes. We increase it to three minutes, but it's music. I'm putting in music and they get a reward out of it because I'm, I'm using music mood. Okay. The benefits of music mood with a mindfulness practice. And so what you get is again, this incredible new stimulation in your mind and you're strengthening the parts that are going to have you be more grounded have more control over your emotions and feel centered and grounded. You know, I can't say that enough. I also have an MX3 formula, which messes, or I shouldn't say messes around. I have an MX3 formula that will activate the dopamine and serotonin and all this stuff, which includes, which means that you meditate for three minutes and then you listen to your favorite song. And then you meditate again for three minutes. And the reason why you listen to your favorite song right in the middle is because what you're doing is you are playing on the reward system. We are all very reward system driven. Okay, that's how our brains operate, especially the ADHD brains, especially. So when you meditate for three minutes, as you're meditating, your brain in the back of its you know, brain <laughs> is like, we're gonna get a reward out of this. We're gonna get to listen to our favorite song. So when you listen to your favorite song, again, dopamine goes up, serotonin goes up, 
you feel really good. And what happens is when dopamine goes up, that is one of the neurotransmitters responsible for motivation, for keeping your attention, for pleasure, for reward. So then when you listen to your favorite song, now you are more motivated and will find it a lot more inspiring and easy to meditate again because you just got rewarded. So I do different things like that. I absolutely love that because I'm one of those people who can't meditate. Yeah. I can't, like, it's never going to be quiet in my mind. And no. <laughs> when I try to meditate, I do that. I'm going to meditate for five minutes today. If I can't make it 30 seconds quiet in my mind, I'm not making it five minutes. But we tend to think that meditation should be a certain period of time. It should be longer. And we don't realize the value of even just a one minute meditation, a one minute of just calming your mind, even if your mind just stops for a split second, that's more than it did before. Mm -hmm. So I absolutely love how you break it down, how you take it baby steps. I never thought about using meditation that way. And I think people struggle with that. Mm -hmm. I had a teacher in class the other night make us meditate. And I was fidgeting the whole time. She was like, yep. if you're quiet with yourself, you're not going to be able to do therapy because you have <laughs> to be quiet. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's true. I have to learn how to be quiet and quiet my thoughts at the same time, not just sit in silence, but relax in that silence. Mm-hmm. So I absolutely admire the way that you are teaching meditation because you're actually giving people the skills and the ability to grow into it. Yeah, it's, it's baby steps. And I want to just add to that. As you're taking these baby steps, what you're doing is you're activating your parasympathetic system, which again, is the system responsible for you feeling calm, for you feeling grounded, for you feeling centered. And the messages that get relayed to your mind is, hey, we're okay, there's nothing to worry about. So as you begin to activate that system with meditation, with gratitude, with positive affirmations, you are going to naturally be able to increase those meditations where now you can meditate for 30 minutes and you're gonna be able to not only love what is going on in your mind as you're meditating, but you're going to be able to be still. The other day I meditated for 55 minutes and I had no idea it was 55. I thought it was like, I don't know, 10. I was like, what's going on? Oh my God, this is amazing. That talk about an activated parasympathetic system. I went into a complete dream state. I was like, I was like, uh, envisioning all these incredible things in my mind I was like I don't know like flying in space or something and I'm like and I was like breathing so nice my mind was relaxed I was so relaxed I woke up because of an alarm and I'm like oh my god I've been here for 55 minutes but let me tell you when I woke up was I relaxed somebody could have flipped me off and I would have been like I love you you know, I love you. Cause like my parasympathetic system was so activated. Seriously. I was like, and that's what I'm talking about. When, when we practice all these tools, we're strengthening the other part of our brain that will allow us to, to be grounded and centered. 
That is absolutely amazing and just goes to show the value and benefits of actually learning how to properly meditate. Mm -hmm. Lastly, let's go into week four. What is week four bringing us? Ah, week four. I love week four. Uh, (laughs) Week four is bringing us self-compassion. So it's kind of like the wrap up of everything we've learned and being like, not only the physical wrap up, but it's also going good job for learning all of this. Now, self-compassion, what is that? Why is that important, right? Because when we learn how to truly, truly be compassionate with ourselves and learn how to develop that that self-love, right, that is needed for us to feel whole and to feel happy when we learn to develop all that, we are truly unstoppable. We are truly and absolutely unstoppable. And one of the techniques that I love to do and, and teach is the self-compassion hug. Now, do it with me. Just give yourself a nice big hug like this. Oh my God, I feel so good. Oh my God, I could hug myself forever. Yes. And I always rock back and forth, always. And it's not conscious whatsoever. I don't mean to, but I'll tell you why this happens. Our brain, okay, when we, okay, let's say this, when, when we were born, what's the first thing that happened? We were held, right? By a nurse, doctor, whoever, you know, whoever was in the room and was like, all right, I'm a whole Fran, I'm a whole Brenda, right? So that's the first memory that our brain registered as far as touch. <clears throat> And when that happened, that was a safe experience, right? Our, our brain registered that as a safe and nurturing experience. Like, we're going to be okay. Everything's cool. You know, unless you were dropped as a baby, and that's a completely different story. But like, you know, as, as they were delivering you, you were held. And so when we hug ourselves now, our brain does not know the difference from then from when you were born to now. So our brain just goes, oh, oh, we're safe. We're, we're, we're okay, everything's fine, we're nurtured. And so then what happens is that your parasympathetic system is activated again. And that further tells your brain, hey, no need to worry, bud, we're cool, we got this, everything's okay, we're safe, we're nurtured. So this helps calm your overactive central nervous system. This is a wonderful way to bond with yourself. This is a wonderful way. And what happens is that the mammalian care system is activated. So again, whoever held us, there was a bond with them. And so when we hold ourselves, there's a bond with ourselves that we are creating. Also, we have a sphere of personal space. who We deem safe, who we do not deem safe, right? So when we hug ourselves, we are telling ourselves, oh, we're a safe person because we can, we can touch us. We can, we're allowing them to touch us. So we are a safe person. And so the more we do this, the more we develop that bond. In that last week, I also go into inner child healing. Have you heard of inner child healing? I have. It is so amazing and so important so important and they don't teach us this but this was one of the hallmarks of how is it that i am who i am 
and that I'm able to truly love myself and calm myself in situations that former Brenda would have freaked out or have criticized myself or would have put myself down, you know? I talk about our inner children. I begin to, to ask, you know, or I should say, I begin the process of discovering who your inner children are, who little Fran is, who, who, is, who is the inner child Fran, who's the outer child Fran, who's the masculine energy Fran, who's your feminine energy Fran, all right? So I have little Brenda, she's my little inner child, she's four years old, and I give them, you know, I ask, how old is little Fran, you know? My little, my little Brenda, she's four years old and her name is little Brenda. You can name your inner child however you want, you know, whatever name you want to give her. My, my inner child again is little Brenda, she's four years old. My outer child is Roxy because that was my nickname in high school. Your outer child is usually your teenage self. That's, that's definitely who my outer child is. She's my teenage self. She's 14, between 14 and 15 years old. Then I have my masculine energy and, and my masculine energy's name is Brandon. And he likes to do things. He likes to go. He does not like to be told no. He is stubborn and he likes to just do, 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 and doesn't understand the, the importance of rest, right? Then there's my female energy, Brenda. And she is like the mom of all of them. She's the adult. She's the calm, cool, collected, composed. All right, everybody settle down, please, right? She's the one that holds it all together, my feminine energy. And so when we learn to tap into our different children within us, that's when we truly discover how to love ourselves because we are no longer looking at ourselves in a... We, we start to diminish the judgment that we hold over ourselves for some of the things that we do. And we begin to approach everything we do from a place of compassion and understanding and go, oh, now I understand why former Brenda, right? Like years ago, why little Brenda would be so, let me rephrase that. Now I understand why years ago I would freak out if, let's say I didn't get a, a text right away from someone, right? That I was like getting close to or a friend, let's say that. I didn't understand, I didn't understand why I would freak out, but now I understand because little Brenda, little Brenda had abandonment issues. And so little Brenda would be like, uh-huh, is this person, does this person like me or are they gonna leave me? You know, when I give little Brenda a voice, and I allow my inner child who was repressed to finally, finally express her needs, express her concerns, express anything that she wants to express. And then I come in as adult Brenda and I soothe her and I go, hey, don't worry. Everything's going to be okay. I'm right here. What's going on? What are you, what are you scared about? You know, and then I tap into little Brenda and she's like, I'm just scared it's not gonna work out. And then adult Brenda's like, talk to me. How come? Well, because it didn't work out in the past. And remember in the past, like people laughed and oh my God. 
And adult Brenda's like, yeah, I do remember that. And that sucked, didn't it? Yeah, it did. But guess what? We are 29 years old now and I'm here to protect you. And no one, no one has the ability to abandon us anymore. You know, I'm here and we have friends that love us, but most importantly, I'm here and I got you and I'm never gonna leave you and it's okay. And you have Roxy and you have Brandon and we're here for you. And so when you begin to talk to yourself like this, that's when you will never talk to yourself in a negative way ever again. It, it's just, you, you can't. Exactly. And your inner child, when you go back to that root cause of trauma, that root cause of pain, that fear, and you just hold that child, you give that child space, them feel heard and seen and understood and just love them for who they are. It really does help you to love yourself and everything you've gone through and understand yourself and forgive yourself. Forgiving ourselves is so important Brenda you've been absolutely incredible before we wrap up can you tell listeners where they can connect with you absolutely absolutely let me just put in my computer there we go hi Michelle. um so everybody can find me on my website Brenda Zuniga.com you guys can also find me on Instagram at official Brenda Z you guys can email me at brenda sorry let me rephrase that y'all could email me brenda at brendasaraizuniga.com also um you guys can find me on youtube you guys can type in getting mental with brenda Zuniga. i'm trying to see where else um but yeah mostly i'm super active on instagram that's the main platform so again official brenda z oh also at getting mental pod you guys can see more clips of my podcast you guys can find all that information everywhere and if you guys want to order a copy of my gratitude journal so that you guys can begin your your journey into gratitude and bettering yourself you guys can dm me for a signed copy or you can go on amazon and type in getting mental gratitude journal i have one right here to show you guys what it looks like this is what it looks like right here. So there you go. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me today. It was an absolute pleasure speaking with you and learning from you. Oh, no. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out. My God, you are an inspiration. You, I'm your biggest fan, friend. Seriously, I'm your biggest fan. Like You are absolutely incredible. And thank you so much for your workbook. You are not alone workbook. Oh my God, it's awesome. Thank you. I'm so happy you enjoyed it. Heck yes. Look, little Brenda loved it. She was like, I love this book. I'm like, I know, I do too. Like, this is so cool. (laughs) Thank you so much for all of your support, your kindness, your encouragement, and lending your voice to mental health and really normalizing the conversation. I appreciate you. Of course. Of course. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me.